morning. This morning's reading is from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with, with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching the word of God. Hey, good morning, everyone. And welcome to those of you who might be here visiting with us. We're glad to have you. And welcome to those who are at home watching. So this morning, the topic is unity. But in talking about unity, we're going to be talking a little bit about division too. So we're going to be addressing the both uh, in this lesson. Now, you heard the reading from Acts chapter 18. And that's kind of the background of the lesson, because we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And what we got there was a little bit of background about Paul's work in Corinth when he arrived there, what it was like. You know, we heard that he was uh, making tents, and, and he met people, and he baptized people, and he was working hard as he was going through Corinth. And so Corinth was a city that was burned to the ground. It was a rich city that was burned to the ground back in 146 BC, and it was rebuilt again by Julius Caesar. So if I say Julius Caesar, most of you know who that person is, right? So Julius Caesar rebuilt that city shortly before his death in 44 BC, and it got prosperous again. It became a good city, a, a prosperous city, a rich city. But it also became the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. And the population of Corinth was, most scholars say, around half a million in the first century. So you could just imagine, if that's the capital of Achaia, it would be like, think of a, a province in Canada. To pick any province, and you pick a city, 500,000. How many different cities do you have in the province? So it gives you an idea of what kind of population the whole province had. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of Roman citizens. And so Corinth was considered a Roman colony. Now, a Roman colony was different than just a city. A Roman colony uh, was a city in which military veterans settled there. So what would happen is people would retire from the military, they retire to one of these cities, and then they would work for the city. They would be the security for the city. They already had all these years of experience. So they were the perfect people to do that. Well, living in these Roman cities had benefits. The city was where things happened. The city is where the opportunities were. These particular cities, though, these colonies were granted partial or complete 
immunity from taxation. So imagine if you lived in a city and you didn't have to pay taxes. Wouldn't you feel a little privileged? Well, imagine how they felt. And so Philippi and Corinth were two such colonies. So when you read the book of Philippi, the Philippians, this was a colony. This wasn't just a city. Corinth was a place where people felt privileged, and they had great freedom within the Roman Empire, and they did have a lot of privileges. If you lived in a colony, you had above and beyond. You don't see that today, obviously, but back then, it it was above and beyond. Their rights and freedoms were everything for them. By the time Paul arrived there, it had become quite a center of immoral activity. Paul arrived there, and he saw Corinth, and he saw how bad it was, and he was amazed. Because Corinth was so prosperous, and people from all over the known world were coming here, it created this pleasure-mad, immoral atmosphere. People were coming there to try to indulge in all, this, all the immorality. I always think of Las Vegas when I think of this. You know, people want to go to Las Vegas, and they want to do gamble, and they want to do all these things. So it's kind of that kind of scenario. But in spite of all this immorality, many Greeks and others at that time were attracted by the high morals of Judaism. They liked it. They saw that. They see how how morally right the Jews were. And they loved that pure worship of one God. When you think in, in a time where people were worshiping many gods, one God for the land, one God for the sea, one God for the air, God for everything, for a lot of these Greeks, the worship of just one God, one true God, was appealing to them. The only thing is, they didn't like the ritual practices that came with Judaism. I mean, I don't blame them. Who wants to get circumcised, right? They didn't like that. That's one example. There's a lot of stuff that they didn't like. And obviously, it makes sense. But Christianity, Christianity was a faith that satisfied them. Because it was free from what they didn't like in Judaism. But they still held that pure worship of one God. They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to hold to all these food practices, etc., 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 but they could still worship the, the one God, pure worship, and they liked that. And so those Greeks and others who became Christians understood that they were free in Christ. But as we learn from reading through the letters of First and Second Corinthians, if you go through them, they took their freedom to, to the extreme, and they thought they could do anything they wanted, and God would be okay with that, that God would still accept their worship. And that's just not the case, right? And so they need to learn that the one true living God does not want to be worshipped the way that they worship the pagan gods. That you're not to follow this god the way that you follow the other gods. There is no temple worship, temple prostitution, all the stuff that went along with pagan, pagan gods. You were not to do that. This is not okay with God. And so, Paul also had to deal with philosophers, as he did in Athens. And, and if you read through the Corinthian letter, it becomes apparent because Paul uses language like wisdom and knowledge. You read those words a lot when you go through those two letters. It's all throughout the Corinthian letters. So Paul came to Corinth, as we read in Acts 18. He preached the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles, which, which destroys the argument that some make that, that Paul preached to the Gentiles and Peter preached to the Jews. It's just not true. Both preached to both. So. But we can see from our reading some of the people who were part of the church in Corinth. We see Priscilla and Aquila, who came from Italy. We see Titius Justus. We see Crispus, the synagogue ruler, also known as Sosthenes in Acts 18.17. Acts 18.8 tells us that many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Many. So you have to stop and think. We might only have a few named, but the church was actually quite big. There was a lot of people that had obeyed the gospel. I suspect it was a very large congregation. 
We also learn that Apollos preached in Corinth and worked with the church for a while. Paul started the work there. Apollos came along and he continued that work. So Paul planted a seed. He came along and he watered. And we read that, actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. It says that very thing. So now let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read the first three verses. <clears throat> Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice that we see again Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, mentions him right away, right at the beginning. Sosthenes was now doing mission work with Paul, rather than being in Corinth, but he would have been someone the church could relate to. So Paul mentions him. He was like a representative of both Christ and the church in Corinth. And Paul addressed this letter to the church of God. You notice the church of God in Corinth. He said they were sanctified. The word sanctified means made holy and set apart for holy use. And that's what happens when we obey the gospel. We've been made holy. We've been set apart for holy use. God can use us. God does. He uses us. And so they've been sanctified and they've been set apart. And it says that they were holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of Jesus. That includes us. He was talking about all those who were saved, all those who are Christians. These Christians in Corinth are part of a huge family of Christians. We are part uh, of a huge family of Christians. It doesn't just stay right here with us. If you travel, you can find the church and you can worship with the church. We're part of a family that is worldwide, and we need to realize that. So take a look at verses 4 to 9 now. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. So Paul described the Corinthians as being enriched in every way. They had everything they needed. And they eagerly waited for Christ to be revealed. Many people have said that this, this passage shows that Jesus was to return in their lifetime, but that passage doesn't say that. It says that they were just waiting and watching. And so we understand that when we read it. Then we read something that is important to note. These Christians were called into fellowship with Jesus. Did you notice that in verse 9? They were called into fellowship with Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. We have been united with him. We have been united with Christ. We have been called into fellowship with him when we heard and obeyed the gospel and while we continue to follow him, we are united with one another as well. We're united into one body. It's not just a matter of being united with Christ. You always think about when you marry someone. You marry the family. You always hear that expression. Well, you're in, united in Christ. You're united together with your brothers and your sisters. We are one. We are one body. So take a look at verses 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, 
and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So we see Paul's plea for the Corinthian Christians to agree with one another so that there would be no divisions among them. That's unity. When we agree with one another, there is unity. This is important for us as a family. We can't have unity if we're being stubborn and we're going to push to have our own way. That's not unity, and it's not a united mindset. If we truly want to be a Christian and please Christ our Lord, then we should want unity. We should want to work at it. It's something that we should all desire. That means we should want what is best for our brothers and sisters instead of what me wants, instead of ourselves. It means sacrifice. Sometimes it's hard to give in, right? Sometimes it's hard to say, well, I, uh, this isn't going to be good for me. But you know what? We do it. We sacrifice. We say, it's good for everybody else. I'm going to do it. Jesus didn't come to earth to be selfish. Jesus came to die for others. And he's not going to be happy if we are not willing to swallow our pride and put aside our selfishness for the sake of our family. He won't be happy with that. We have to remember who we serve, and we have to remember how he feels. What is he going to think with our behavior? How is he going to feel about what we're doing? So this agreeing with one another that Paul talked about was in regards to, not only to the word of God, but also in speech. They were to agree with one another when it came to the word of God and speech. Other translations say, speak the same thing instead of agree with one another, as the NIV translates. There were to be no divisions among them, and they were to be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so should we. We should be all united on the same things. And still many other translations say, in the same mind and in the same judgment. I think that's a pretty good wording. We need to be on the same page. We need to be united. We should all have the same idea of where we're going and what we need to be doing as the church. So the fact that Paul is pleading with them here tells us that the very thing he's warning them about was actually happening. That's why he's saying this. He's dealing with it. Paul said that some from Chloe's household informed him of divisions that were splitting the church, little cliques that were forming. Some people were saying they follow Paul. Others were saying, I follow Apollo. Still others were saying they follow Peter. And yet, still more saying, I follow Christ. But I believe that last one, when they say, I follow Christ, I think that is said with arrogance, implying they were better since they followed Christ. So I think they were still wrong. This is division. That's not unity. Let's fast forward close to 2,000 years. Let's travel across the sea from Europe to the West, to Canada. Let's hit the East Coast. Let's travel over to the best city in all of Canada, Winnipeg. And let's think about this. Let's think about this. When we have unity, there is no division. 
When we have division, there is no unity. If a person says, I like Sean's lessons, but I don't like Jay's lessons, so I'm not going to listen to Jay when he's preaching. I follow Sean. That's division. When a person says, I like Jay's lessons, but I don't like Sean's, I'm not going to listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I follow Jay. That's division. That's something we need to be careful of. It's something that we need to remember. We don't want to be causing division. After Paul had talked about these divisions, people following certain individuals, he immediately brought to their minds who they were baptized into. You notice that's the first thing he talks about immediately after that. He's bringing to mind who it is that they're supposed to follow. It's Christ Jesus. You're not supposed to follow me. You're not supposed to follow Jay. You're supposed to follow Jesus. We're all supposed to follow Jesus. That is the name that they should remember and the person who we need to follow. No one here was baptized into Sean. No one here was baptized into Jay. Just to use the same words that Paul said. But you were baptized into Christ. We were all baptized into Christ when we obeyed the gospel. Jesus is the one that we're supposed to follow. What Jay and I both teach and speak is the word of God. And we both know that it doesn't matter who is the one up here bringing the message. We are to listen and to try to get something out of it. Because it's the word of God. That shows that we desire unity. When we're sitting here and we're trying to listen and we're trying to get something out of the lesson, regardless who is the one that's speaking, that shows that we desire unity. We're trying to learn the will of God. We're trying to learn what Jesus said. That's what we want to do. We want to follow Jesus and listen to his word regardless of who is speaking. So again, we were all baptized into Christ. Being baptized into Christ implies by his authority. Authority is part of what's in view here. When we read about, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, etc., etc., that's what's going on. It's talking about authority. See, back then, people would follow what they call rabbis. So you'd have rabbi who was the teacher, and people would sit at their feet. And so it was a following. And that's kind of what's going on here. People are having that kind of attitude that, well, I follow Rabbi Paul, I follow Rabbi Peter. And Paul's saying, no, no, you don't. You don't do that. That's what it looks like these Christians were doing. They were aligning themselves with various leaders in the church, and it was causing division. And we can't have that. Paul said, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, that's pretty clear. It's not hard to figure out what he was saying. I like what one commentator by the name of Barnes said on this matter. This, listen to this. This is what he says. He said, the church was to be regarded as one and indivisible and not to be rent into different factions and ranged under the banners of different leaders. Paul here solemnly reminds them that their baptism was an argument why they should not range themselves under different leaders. By that, they had been solemnly and entirely devoted to the service of the only Savior. Did I ever, was the implied language of Paul, baptized in my own name? Did I ever pretend to organize a sect announcing myself as the leader? Have I not always directed you to that Savior, into whose name and service you have been baptized? Paul had never desired or intended that they should call themselves by his name, and he thus showed the impropriety of their adopting the name of any man as the leader of a sect. So, what Barnes says is pretty good, and it's clear. We're not to follow a man, we're to follow Christ. And Christ is the only name that we should confess as Lord. 
Divisions should never exist in the Lord's Church. This certainly is a danger today. When members say, I follow this person or that person, we're moving away from unity. We're moving in the wrong direction. We have to remember that it's Christ that we follow. Take a look, if you will, at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And Paul, again, is the writer here. And I bring this up because he says something very important in these verses that relates to what we're talking about here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so notice the language he's using, unity, united with Christ. If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What he's talking about there is unity, and that's how you get unity. We are to be united in spirit and purpose. We are to be on the same page about what we're supposed to do as the church. And we should all have the same attitude. We should all have the right spirit, a spirit that wants to please God. This is unity. That's what unity is, that you desire to please God, and you're going to do things his way. This is what Paul was talking about in our text this morning. As one commentator said, unity is the result when people embrace lowliness and gentleness, when they bear with one another in love, and when they speak the truth in love. That's unity. That's what we're supposed to do. So let's remember who we have been baptized into and that we are to be united on all things. We are followers of Christ. We are called to be holy together as a family with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are here visiting, let me challenge you. I have three questions for you. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you done that? Have you heard the message that can save you? And finally, have you been united with Christ in the waters of baptism? Let's stand as we sing our last song in the morning.